so hello everyone welcome to another episode of chatter today i am delighted to be joined by richard hanani uh, hanania 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 is that mm -hmm. it hanania interesting where's the name from like heritage wise middle eastern middle yeah, eastern I'm oh that's Palestinian cool. christian ah oh we're gonna have to talk about that that's very interesting um at some point but anyway yeah so the reason i have you here is to talk about your brand new book uh the origins of woke um so yeah do you want to give people a little like short thesis on on what the book's about and and sort of where where it came to conception yeah i mean the book is basically about the idea that the idea of wokeness is not a uh, is something that's sort of in the cultural ether that there has been in the united states a government sort of uh uh, you know, there have been government mandates and regulations that have for the last, uh, since really the late 1960s, early 1970s, uh, forced corporations and other institutions to behave in a way that was race and sex conscious. conscious. Um, a lot of people think this is something new or recent, but I trace that development, argue that most of the stuff came from the law and, you know, ultimately it can be changed by the law. Okay. So maybe before we go deep into it we should like define what we mean by woke because it's a term it's one of those terms that gets thrown around so much these days that that it's difficult to difficult to know exactly what people mean when they say woke because it can mean a whole bunch of things it can just be a stupid insult hurled at people it can be a bunch of stuff so so how would you define it yeah so i say there's three components of it um there's the idea that disparities are caused by discrimination uh, past or present discriminations and, you know, only certain kinds of disparities, those that favor whites over non-whites or men over women, those are the ones we uh, care about. Uh, the second um, part of definition is that you need uh, restrict speech in the name of overcoming these, diver these uh, disparities. And then finally, that there is a, a bureaucracy set up in order to restrict speech and ultimately overcome disparities, right? Um, there's an institutional component. So I think you take those three things together. A lot of people use wokeness. You know, they talk about climate change or, or something or just anything that liberals happen to be into or talk about. You know, I've seen, you know, wokeness saying uh, vegetarianism is woke or whatever. No, I mean, I think that that's just getting a little bit away from uh, the definition uh so yeah i think we start with that i think that's basically covers what most people are talking about okay so then the 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 general understanding that i had previously was basically that that woke is uh descended from sort of french neo-marxist intellectuals through the the 20th century um people like um foucault um even all the way down to uh like jean paul satra uh, a whole bunch of like th thinkers and basically the idea was that um especially uh people like james Lindsay, who i've, I've had in the podcast before and he basically argues that it's it's um a way for um marxism to filter into uh, it was a way for intellectual intellectual marxists to filter in marxism culturally um since they realized that the economic arguments wouldn't work in in the western world basically they realized that there wasn't going to be a way for communism to take over because people were too attached to sort of um liberal capitalism as such uh why do you think that they're wrong yeah i mean you have to sort of show the evidence for that you have to sort of build up the uh uh, you have to sort of uh, make the connection between some things that some philosophers said and then ultimately how, you know, the United States functions in 2023. 
Um, and so I don't think you know the evidence for that is that strong. Yeah, I think a lot of these thinkers had influence of different people through you know throughout different times. But there's not like you know a plan that some Marxists had that you can trace to affirmative action or, or something like that or like you know uh, uh, speech codes in the workforce. Um, you know, I think that it's much simpler explanation to just go back and look at what government's been doing, trace the historical development, see like what laws were passed, what regulations were passed, look at how institutions changed uh, in response and ultimately what the cultural impact has been. And I think you could show chronologically that a lot of these woke ideas, they came from government first and the government was often, you know, not motivated in the 1960s and 1970s, the highest levels of the American government were not motivated by Marxism. Um, they were motivated by sort of more pedestrian concerns. They wanted to achieve racial equality. They wanted to really overcome discrimination. Um, and this seems to be have been their, uh, you know, they went a little bit crazy with it, but I, I think that was their main motivation. And then I think a lot of these things had unintended consequences, including um, bringing, including giving, um, uh, opp providing opportunities for, you know, Marxists and other, you know, left-wing radicals uh, to have an influence through the law. I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that that's completely, um, uh, you know, you know, completely um, just has no explanatory power at all. Uh, it has some, um, but you know, I think the law is more important. I think there's been few books and few uh, really serious works uh, trying to grapple with how important the law has been in this area. So yeah, so one of the things you kind of point to is um, yeah, these affirmative action laws that came in through the, especially in universities um, through like the the seventies, eighties, where there was like hiring practices, um, positive discrimination and that a lot of these institutions at the time were sort of very resistant to the idea. Uh, so could you point to some examples um, for people? Because, yeah, love to get facts to back things up. Yeah, sure. I mean, here in the United States, universities are seen as sort of crazy. The most, you know, institutions most committed to race and sex consciousness and woke ideas. Uh, it wasn't always the case. So in the early 1970s, the federal government uh, goes to, um, you know, Columbia. And you know, I tell the story in the book, they tell them, you know, uh, we want to make sure you're not discriminating. And that means we want statistics on like how many blacks and how many women, you know, you're hiring. Um, and then the president of Columbia, you know, says, we don't collect that data. We're not even, you know, we're not even in position to collect that data. The, you know, the departments are, you know, it's descended, they're decentralized. They do their own thing. You know, we, we're not even that kind of institution. Um, but then he says, you know, the government won't let up. And he says, if we have to do it to maintain our research grants, we're going to have to do it. I mean, he says this in an open letter. He doesn't say this behind the scenes or something. Uh, this was, you know, they went public with this stuff. Uh, same with the UC Berkeley. I mean, the government came in and tried to get, you know, uh, racial uh, racial hiring there. And now it seems, you know, crazy because the, you know, the universities are most committed uh, to affirmative action, to wokeness, to, you know, eliminating disparities between groups and proportional representation. Uh, but you can see clearly that they were, this was forced upon them uh, by the federal government. And, you know, if you, if you sort of ignore that, I mean, you just, uh, you sort of miss a huge part of the story. Mm. Okay. So then the thing, the thing that I would say, um, like to, to sort of take the, the opposite side of this is like, okay, so you're, you're looking at the workforce in the 1960s and 70s, where there was probably like at least some inherent levels of, of, maybe not discrimination overtly, but apprehension from people to to bring in uh, or to decide that they were going to have certain, suddenly uh, there was going to be like loads of women or people of like different races and stuff in um, positions of power. And whilst they weren't like actively pushing against it, 
perhaps the they the uh, the federal government felt that there was a need to like sort of front that in a way to make people more comfortable with the idea generally um but do you think that was that was a mistake in terms of like the way that the government came in and did it like the the big government overreach is that that's where your like main point of contention with it is uh, yeah, I mean, it eventually developed into something else, something crazier than that. But you know, you're you're asking, I think, what if it was more uh, measured and moderate and temporary, and they just came in and tried to uh, um, do this? No, I you know, I still wouldn't support it. I mean, the uh, you know, like throughout history, I think we've seen groups being discriminated against. The uh, discrimination is lifted, and Jews through you know throughout history, um, there are other groups too, Chinese in different countries, and they do very well because why? Because the markets work. Um, people want to make money. Um, if there's one group that's more productive and you know they're they're cheaper to hire, people will hire them. I mean, the market will uh, generally solve these things. Uh, maybe not the you know overnight, but better than government. And then once you start down that path, um, you know it's going to likely lead to the entrenchment and permanent. You know, it's uh, Thomas Sowell wrote a book on affirmative action around the world, and he talks about this that they're always promised to be um, temporary. They you know then you can't get rid of them. They all with the racial preferences, gender preferences stay forever. Uh, so no, yeah, I don't think this is a good uh i don't think this is a good thing for government to be doing i don't think it's necessary and they, they should have just you know banned discrimination and that should have been the end of it mm. you would have preferred like uh the courts basically to take care of it like people will come go right hang on well i'm being discriminated against this is against the law like and, and deal with it yeah through, through the i mean I, you know i'm i'm celebrate. I'm pretty much a libertarian. I mean, I wouldn't have even, I would have let private institutions do what they want, but, you know, given that there was a civil rights act. Um, yeah. I mean, the original, uh, the original idea of it was that um, you have to prove intentional discrimination, not, you know, not a statistical discrimination. I give a test and some group does better than the other, or like, you know, my, my work environment is not comfortable for a certain, you know, you didn't have to change like the way you talked or the way you acted. That was sort of the, the original, um, right. Uh, original idea. And, you know, that would have been much, much obviously less harmful. Um, but you know, it was, uh, they couldn't stop there. They really, it really became sort of total. I mean, it sort of became a, like a, just a total system of like government micromanaging of social relations and control. Um, you know, I, I think it would have been better if we just never started down that path. Mm. It was interesting though, that, that we've now arrived at a point where, um, the opposite is basically happening. So you had the, the lawsuit against, um, Harvard. Uh, that was, I think it was settled like earlier this year, um, basically banning uh, selection, were a bit banning basically any form of, of selection based on, on race. Um, and there was a lot of screeching and crying and some really, really stunning tweets about it, including one, I can't remember who it was, but they basically said that like black people wouldn't be able to succeed now. And I was just like, whoa, man, that is. I think, I think that was a, I think that was a sarcastic, I think that was, I think it was it a blonde woman. I think so. Yeah, I think she turned out to be like a, a fake account or something. There was oh, this, really? There was this crazy account that was getting all kinds of saying crazy things like that, pretending to be a liberal. It was either AI or a fake account or, or something. There was a whole story about this. But yeah, I think I know the exact what you're talking mm. about. Yeah. Anyway, the, <laughs> that's that's hilarious that I was fooled by that. Yeah, always got to be on the vigilant, on vigilant for fake accounts and bots. But uh, uh, yeah, you can't believe everything. Yeah, you can't take everything at face value on Twitter. Uh, yeah. No, no, definitely not. Um, so I guess the, the thing that I, I, I'm, I'm like pointing at is, is now we've got to a point where 
the institutions have have run free of of like the like government imposed mandates and they're not there's like an ideology that's like imposed itself within the university structure itself and that they are now the ones pushing this harder than anyone else um like how do you think we got to that point yeah i mean you know it, it sort of became a uh you know, it sort of you know it fed into itself because the, um, the you know the government required some laws. They were sort of vague and they were you know open to interpretation, and they needed people to interpret those laws. And you know, judges would interpret them too, and lawyers. And you know, this was sort of a what was behind the growth of the human resources profession. Um, and so the human resources profession really takes off after you know civil rights law starts because you need managers within the institution uh to you know to um uh uh you know you need managers within the institution um that are going to be able uh to sort of just know what's going on and tell you what's allowed and what's not allowed they could often shape the law and they could shape sort of people's understanding of, of what's allowed and what's not um and then you know the universities in particular i think they attract a certain kind of person we had a you know we had expansion of higher education when more people started going to the to college in the second half of the 20th century a lot of them you know uh weren't just didn't have the capabilities to do you know like what people would have done in college before the standards had to be lowered there they expanded into more fields that were, you know, really shouldn't be scientific fields sometimes you know um for to help people who um uh, to give uh, you know uh, to give um classes and majors that people who had gotten in through affirmative action could finish um, a lot of the african-american studies departments you know were basically were, were created that way um basically protests or, or things like that and just simply you know these weren't really scholarly fields um and so the universities in particular i think were really uh captured by this worse than any other institutions and they don't have like you know the market forces that discipline this you know business always has to think about making a profit um, it has to you know live in the world of balance sheets and and budgets and you know supply and demand and uh universities really don't have to do that they just you know they have this mission where they just get money shoveled at them um and they're basically you know they're supposed to be you know academics and they have this prestige and status and there's really nothing to discipline them and keep them connected to reality uh and i think this is the end result so do you think do you think we've like hit peak woke um you know uh and it depends on where you're looking i think that there's a uh here in the united states i think like there's a you know bifurcation where there's a lot more anti-woke people and um like within you know like conservative media or conservative politics like uh, you know, they're, they're just very anti-cancel culture. They won't cancel anyone, even if they're actually crazy or they, you know, there's something very wrong with them. I mean, there's just such a uh, aversion to like, you know, kicking anyone out of the out of the club just because there's a reaction to this stuff. Uh, and then like in universities, I think it's probably, they're like the same or, or, you know, worse. I mean, it doesn't have like, we had like really like almost violent, uh, you know, incidents in the mid 2010s. We tend not to have as many of those anymore. I think that just sort of the revolutionary fervor just burns itself out. Like people don't just stay like hyper focused on things for years and years and years. Uh, but then there's like a lot of just this stuff just to get institutionalized. So the um, uh, the uh, uh, you know, like the diversity statements that you have to uh, uh, you have to fill out to get hired. I think that's still going on in California. Some states have gotten rid of them, um, but I think the universities have generally chased out anyone who you know is independent-minded. I think the people who become professors now after the 2010s are are uh, you know pretty woke themselves. 
um, or at least tolerant of it. So I think the universities are still bad. I think the media is, uh, you know, pretty bad on this. Um, you know, conservative movement or things that are like, uh, you know, uh, self-consciously conservative um, are getting, you know, more anti-woke. And then everything else is like something in between. I think corporate America probably getting less woke. I think that Elon Musk buying Twitter had a huge impact. These conservative boycotts are having more of an effect. So yeah, it really depends on what you're looking at. Yeah, I definitely think so. It's it is interesting to watch like the 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 lack of say pride flags in company logos this year compared to previous years and then there was the the target boycott there's been the the bud light um thing that keeps going on where they just continue to lose money which is my it's it's really interesting to see it because normally the 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 argument was always that the left were the great organizers and now it seems like the 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 writer suddenly being like, "Hang on a second, guys! Like we we need to actually do something about this. It's like the pendulum has swung too far one direction." Yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't take much organizing. I think it's just like the people get mad on social media, and then they go into stores and they sort of they raise a ruckus. There were some of these videos of people going into Target, and they're pretty funny actually. With these people like looking at this gay stuff, like what is the like just going crazy at the uh, <laughs> at the Target employee, um, and you know nobody wants to deal with that now. All those people would have been kicked off of Twitter, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and now since uh, Elon Musk bought it, you know, there's a little bit more of a level 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 playing field, maybe even a tilt in favor of conservatives. I don't know, um, but I know conservatives are the ones buying all the blue checks because they want to give Elon Musk money, and that's made conservatives more uh, you know prominent on, on Twitter. Um, and so, yeah, that's um, that's clearly, uh, you know, it's clearly having an influence. And and so, yeah, I think that like, you know, there's laws, but there's also, you know, the social media platforms play such a role in our lives that who owns it is actually very, very important. Mm. Yeah, it really is interesting to see because I don't know. I think I think you're probably right about about conservatives being a little more boosted because they're the ones buying the blue check marks. But I think there's also an extent to which. Um, a lot of people who would have been like shadow banned or just not like bothered to post or not seen or or just like deranked due to things they were posting about of, of suddenly are all now a little bit more visible and and I think it's it's a thing where people like didn't realize the scale of objection to a lot of these policies um, and now like claim that it's it's really like tilted into the other direction whereas I think it's it's kind of a, it's like a, not a watershed moment, but it's, it's almost like the wool being lifted, like the, 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 the restrictions on like what maybe a lot of ordinary people would have thought have suddenly been sort of the floodgates have opened and people suddenly feel sort of like more empowered to express opposition to it, whereas prior it might have like got them reported or banned or shadow banned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's just, it's just a feedback loop where conservatives know they're not going to be banned or deranked or be as likely to. And so they, uh, you know, they become more bold. Maybe there's an opposite effect on liberals. Maybe they get off Twitter or they spend less time on it. Um, it's a less enjoyable experience for them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this stuff is important. I mean, we have the social media you know, real revolution in the early 2010s and, you know, everything moved to, you know, Facebook and then Twitter, Twitter became more important. Uh, and then, um, I mean, what Twitter's policies were became just like so important. I mean, like politicians were talking about it, conservatives were losing their minds, they were complaining all the time. Um, and liberals were saying, uh, who cares, you know, it's not a big deal. They've been pretending they didn't care. I mean, because like they, you know, because they were the ones 
Uh, they were the ones in control, so it seemed like it wasn't a big deal. Now they sort of go crazy, and now they say, oh, it's a, it's a threat to our democracy. You know, it's not going to be able to survive Elon Musk going to Twitter. And now conservatives, I mean, are saying, yeah, things are looking up for looking up for us. They're, you know, they're not going to say it's not important. They're saying it's important. I think everyone realizes it's important. Now we all agree it's important. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, Elon Musk owns it and, you know, the old management doesn't. And that's the difference. Yeah, it was kind of stunning to watch the Twitter files come out and then the mainstream press just sort of shrug. It's almost like they all knew, you know, they're like, eh. He's like, well, no, hang on. This is like kind of important. Like inside a, I, I, I'd love to get the same sort of data from inside a bunch of the other, like inside Google or inside Facebook, and and yeah. just just see what the what the level of of influence that that like a lot of these government organizations and and sort of even just news organizations have over the the policies of like the content policies it's it's like what's your feel on on how much it's like government versus how much it's like culture and and say maybe like news organizations or big personalities pushing it on online uh you're talking about uh censorship or wokeness or what what yeah just just like what's the acceptable narrative and what things shouldn't be allowed to be said yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it is, you know, government, it's, you know, they have sort of, there's a concept of hostile work environment. So, you know, you don't exactly have a right to say whatever you want. When the James Damore, the guy at Google, uh, wrote a memo saying, you know, women might be underrepresented for, you know, genetic reasons um, in certain fields uh, or leadership positions, he was, you know, fired. And some people said, you know, they had to fire him because it was civil, consistent with civil rights law. He could have created a hostile work environment uh, for women. Uh, so yeah, corporations, you know, believe or are you know, um, you know have been sort of convinced to believe uh, that they, um, you know, that like a lot of ideas are basically illegal in the workplace. It's not that crazy because you know the civil rights bureaucrats will uh, will go after you. Now the social media thing was completely new, um, and it was just sort of like a free town square for a while, and then they realized like, oh no, we can't control this narrative. And then they, you know, they really put up the censorship pressure. So it came after, you know, Twitter really didn't ban anyone until uh, uh, after Trump was elected. I mean, you could be almost anything on Twitter um, until about 2017. They started a few, banning people a few years before that. But then, like, yeah, 2016, 2017, it really took off. Um, and, you know, the algorithm, you know, would de-boost people they didn't like. And there would be shadow banning and so forth. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, and you know, it was it was just like this media. I mean, the media the media demand came first. Um, I think that they went, you know, sort of crazy, and then you had these activist organizations, and then you know when, uh, and then later, the, sort of the government started uh, pressuring social media companies, which you know was inevitable when it became a cause for the you know for the media. It's all you know they're all you know reading and watching the watching the same thing, so that's to be expected. Hmm. Now, one of the things you look at in the book is is the why why america became obsessed with inequalities based on race instead of religion because arguably um culturally religion is like a much greater dividing line between people like i mean if you look at say like the differences between um christianity and maybe like hinduism or or islam like there's there's like massive like cultural differences there um like why do you think it was race that became the the dividing line yeah, so race um, was the subject of the Civil Rights Act uh, because of the history of blacks in the United States. Uh, and then once race became, you know, what we were obsessed with, the sort of bureaucratic uh, 
uh, machinery uh, you know, took over from there. And so how we classify race, well, I, I show was also shaped by the government, you know, these categories, American, uh, Asian American, Pacific Islander, uh, Hispanic, these were, you know, government creations. Um, and so they were, uh, you know, and so like, you know, there was a, a brief consideration like the Nixon era for religion, but, you know, there's, first of all, there's the establishment clause, um, you know, there's the idea of the U.S. the U.S., you know, stays out of religion. So it'd be, it would just be a very big, uh, big leap in our law. Uh, you know, France has sort of has something like this for race, but we have it for religion. France has it for religion too, obviously, but we don't have, you know, we have a, a sort of more tradition of race uh, conscious measures. Um, and so, yeah, and you know, it's just like the difficulty of like identifying, you know, religion, it's often, you know, you have to sort of, you know, ask people and, you know, it's like with race, you could often do it with a, a verbal or you could do it with a visual um, confirmation that's allowed under so you ask them and then you're also allowed to do visual confirmation uh, if you're an employer um, and so yeah I think it was just you know this was a uh, you know our history was not one of like Catholics and Protestants like fighting each other you know our history was a, a history of difficulties with the black population primarily in the south and you know that became sort of the basis for the civil rights regime yeah so uh, like yeah slavery then basically and the the the, yeah, the the yeah you know, the legacy of it um then like yeah. down to jim crow and and things like that um yeah because mm -hmm. it's interesting to me as well because if i come from some from from northern ireland where we have a lot of uh we've had four years of well not anymore it's not since not since 2000 basically we had about four years of of violence and, and civil war based on on religion um so that that for me is always like the the thing that that comes to my mind when people talk about like dividing a population just because that's what i've grown up like witnessing uh, so so race is always like a different question to me it almost like to me it almost is like well who cares <laughs> like because you know are they protestant are they catholic that's that that's the one that we were always so obsessed with yeah. uh anyway <laughs> um so um whilst yeah whilst um looking at the book uh i came across like uh the atlantic article uh, that describes your book as um, an intellectual and moral failure and a Trojan horse for white supremacy. Um, and then um, the Huffington Post have uh, did like a, an, an expose where they find some like old bits of, of stuff that you'd written. Um, and then you wrote like a Medium article sort of. Um, oh, so it's my Substack. My Substack. Substack. No, I don't use sorry. Medium. Substack is Substack. much, much better. Yeah. Sorry um substack uh and yeah so you put put the article up and uh, basically saying look i i used to hold um these opinions um basically where they were sort of a little bit yeah race supremacist in in a sense like so uh, do you want to do you want to like go on explain a little bit about like what you thought then and like where you how you got to the place you're at now yeah, I mean, I, you know, the thing, you know, that I saw pretty early was there were statistics on uh, racial differences and, you know, behavior on the performance on tests and things like that, uh, crime rates. And, you know, it was just like sort of a drove me crazy that, you know, we weren't allowed to talk about them or we talked about them in a way that was just ridiculous, like blaming it all on, you know, every disparity on like racism or sexism or whatever. And so I sort of, you know, I went in the direction of maybe like you know, too much in the other, you know, other direction, like, okay, they're, you know, anti-racist. Oh, we have to be like, you know, we almost have to be 
racist, we have to be <laughs> sexist. We have to say, oh, um, you know, these groups are sort of, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, maybe we should keep we should keep people out of the country, or we should like, you know, women shouldn't have as many rights, and you know, things like that. Um, you know, I, I eventually came to realize over the years that you know this is not. This is not healthy. It's also not logically, you know, it's not doesn't logically follow that if there are group differences, um, you know, that you have to sort of, you know, exclude certain people or you can't have a system where you treat everyone as individuals. I mean, the, you know, the left makes it hard to sort of realize that because they're so, you know, into pushing sort of identity politics and the preferences. So, yeah, this was, you know, like 10 to 15 years ago um, when this stuff was written, more than 10 years ago, maybe 11 or 12 to 15 years ago. Um, and yeah, you know, it came out. Uh, they wanted to get my book canceled they wanted to get the uh, you know nobody to aff affiliate with me anymore and that didn't work i think it probably just brought it more attention mm. so like, how, would you say your faith was like a part of of like the that realization my faith no i, I don't i'm not religious no no okay sorry sorry just because you'd said you're a palestine christian right at the start oh uh, uh, my, my i have a christian background okay. but no it wasn't like i had a religious experience <laughs> or anything like that Oh, that's all right. Well, yeah, no, I was just curious if that had been been part of it. So, but yeah, so basically, um, you you've arrived at a point where it's you're basically concerned with protecting the rights of the individual and not the group. Yeah, and just get, making everyone better off, having a society based on merit and talent and economic growth and and freedom of association, people being able to do what they want. You know, if they're racist or if they're not, I mean, if people want to you know affiliate with the, you know people uh, like themselves, fine. If they you want to have diversity, nobody wants to stop them from doing that either. I think the civil rights laws they you know they force sort of a uh, this one ideal on everybody and they force this kind of reverse discrimination they took away people's choices and you know that's one of my goals in the book it's it's calling for a liberal in the classic you know the classical the good sense of the liberal uh society of accepting you know um differences of individuals and what they want and communities and institutions so so yeah so i what would be your your remedies for 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 the issues that you, you're highlighting in the book of, of like sort of big government overreach, um, affirmative action, um, and and all of the things that have, that have come as a result of it. Like where, where would you begin to try and like rectify some of these things? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, there's a, like a broad point and like more narrow points. And so the broad point is just understand that, you know, wokeness does come from law. It is a political issue. It's not something you just have to go online and complain about on you know podcasts or get outrage on social media. This is like the boring stuff of court decisions and government and executive orders and legislation. Um, and so just realizing that is important. And then like what specifically to do? Uh, you know, uh, you have a, one of my final chapters on exactly that. I have a you know a table uh, that says here's what you do in the executive branch. Here's what you do in the judicial branch. Um, you can get rid of affirmative action and contracting uh, through just the president, just the of the pen um you have, courts have to revisit the idea of disparate impact uh the idea that uh if one group does better than another on uh on an exam or some kind of measurement um you know that's presumably that that means presumably the uh employer is discriminating we have to go back to the idea that uh, discrimination has to be intentional a lot of the harassment law has gone overboard i mean you know we just need to we need to believe in freedom we need to believe that like people have you know the capabilities to manage their own social relations um and you know things like you know who they're dating or how they want to interact with different people um we just have to have more faith in that so yeah i mean it's a very it's a very specific book it's a history book if people buy it 
they'll get the uh, insight into, you know, I think a good causal story of how we got here. Um, and then, you know, it's also for sort of activists and, uh, you know, people who are going to be judges or uh, uh, lawyers or legal clerks or legislators to, you know, th this is exactly what you could do. It's, it's, it's very concrete in that sense. Hmm. So I guess the, the, so actually, hang on. Like, how much affirmative action is actually in law in America? Because, because in the UK we have like a really robust like anti-discrimination and equality set of legislation. It's like one of the most robust in the world, actually, in terms of like if you think you've been discriminated against based on um, any protected characteristic. Not that I enjoy that term, but like that's the law at the minute. But like that's that's the the, the way that we currently deal with it. There's not like quotas aren't a thing that we really have in the united kingdom like is that is that a huge part of 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 like american of the american like law uh you're saying what you're saying in, in the law as far as like uh like law schools and stuff or just the no law, i like sorry i mean like like legally like is there or it just like in legislation is there a lot of um is there a lot of affirmative action in in different areas no, there, there's tons, but it's you know it's complicated as you know I explained in the book. It's it's uh, indirect. It's sort of uh, vague about what you're supposed to do. Um, so yes, you're not supposed to have. You know, actually, quotas are explicitly banned if somebody just says a quota. Um, that's not supposed to be legal. But if you have a test or a promotional policy, um, and you know the like, government will use statistics to come after you and say this group's not doing it. Now, how do you protect yourself against that? Well, you have to have quotas. You have to basically have some unofficially. You have to hire enough black people and women, you know, unofficially. Like so, they will come after you if you don't. But then you don't have actual quotas, and quotas are illegal. And you have to do a sort of uh, under the table. And so, like there, yeah, for government contractors, there's a requirement that they all have affirmative action plans, which based based on uh, statistical parity of what the numbers are supposed to be. You know, they come up with the numbers and there's no, you know, there's no uh, uh, like, uh, you know, hard and fast penalty. It's a very informal thing, um, but it's all there. And it's, a, you know, sort of every, you know, comes at you from all you know, different kinds of directions. And uh, yeah, the only way to protect yourself is to sort of adopt the world posture and engage in some kind of demographic balancing. Mm. So, I guess like my my then my that my question then really is is like where would you yeah you'd start with the president he can get rid of a lot of these things and then like do you think that this is realistically going to happen like obviously like as um I wrote my own book about about Brexit and and I'm writing one about about GameStop and the financial system and like obviously I lay out like you know what I think should happen in order to you know fix a lot of the problems that I saw in the United Kingdom and in the the Brexit process and then like later now in the in the financial system like how how likely do you think it is that that what you're advocating for might happen because I because I can see I can hear the screeching already in the distance of people claiming that it's going to legalize racism or that it's going to allow um you know people to discriminate like do, do you think that there's a, a possibility that the these changes might actually be put into place 
Um, yes, I mean, I, I do consider that in the book. I mean, I have another, I, I think that's such a good question. I mean, I think it's worth its entire chapter. So, you know, I have a chapter uh, six on it, Republicans and Civil Rights Law. And um, yeah, I mean, the public, you know, we're, we're having a you know thing where I go through the entire history of sort of the Republican Party or conservative movement where it's been on these issues. Um, we have a, like a bifurcation in our politics where uh, I feel like the conservatives are governing in a more conservative way and the liberals are governing in a more liberal way, especially on social issues. Um, and this one in particular, um, the conservatives are, uh, you know, I think united on this um, and they have public opinion on their side, even they do stuff sometimes when they don't have public opinion on their side, but this time uh, they actually do. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, if Republicans win elections, you know, I'm confident that because of what I'm talking about, because of other people talking about these things, um, there will be policy movement. We've seen some of it at the state level. Um, you know, if Democrats win elections, or, you know, we're going to have to you know, be thankful that we have uh, free speech on, on Twitter, but, you know, there probably won't be much movement on wokeness as, uh, as law. They'll be appointing the judges and they'll be making new laws and they'll be appointing the cabinet officials too. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the political, you know, the next few elections matter a lot. Do you think, because uh, Jordan Peterson's one uh, has, has sort of made the, the accusation that um, the universities are gone. They're like, they're, there is no saving some of these institutions at this point. Like, do you take the same opinion? I think that uh, it's, you know, it's difficult there, you know, they are the hardest sort of nut to crack. I think that a lot of them are going crazy, you know, you get rid of race preferences, they get rid of the SAT, you know, they just, they just are so ideological. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. Um, you know, but there'll be, I think, competition. I think there's, you know, I posted some data the other day that uh, fewer young people are going to college out of high school. Um, the uh, you know college is not paying off as far as the wealth premium as much as it once did, um, and you know like different colleges will adopt different policies. Like I said, like the bifurcation as far as politics and like Republican states doing uh, different things. I think a lot of them are gonna you know they're 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 pushing back on the diversity and the affirmative action within their own states, um, and that you know that'll create selection pressures. If one you know if some universities have a standardized test and others don't, I think the people. Um, you know, people will you know, there be a better reputation develop against the for the ones that are more uh, meritorious in their admissions processes, um, and so uh, yeah, I mean, I think the universities are complicated. I mean, I don't know you can brush them off completely. You have medical schools, you have law schools. I mean, these things uh, matter. Um, you know, but I think that like my you know my view is my preference is that college becomes more less important economically, culturally, socially. Um, and you know, if there's some signs we're moving in that direction, you know, I'd like to see much more. Uh, but yeah, I think they're you know they're hard to crack. And, you know, it would be good. We have too much education anyway, even if the colleges weren't crazy ideologically. I mean, it's all signaling young people are wasting their lives, you know, studying topics they don't care about just to get an arbitrary degree. They'd be better off, you know, starting families and going into the workforce. Um, and so yeah, I mean, just you know, attacking higher education. There's no reason not to do that. Yeah, I mean, I I. I kind of I see what you mean where where, where some of them are going to lose their relevance, but then you look at institutions that like have hundreds of years of 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 backing and like prestige, like Harvard, Stanford, Berkeley, mm -hmm. like places like that. Like, do you? I is there a way to go the other way in terms of like trying to sort of de woke these places, um, or or does that sort of to your mind conflict with like your sort of libertarian sensibilities? No, I mean, it's not about libertarianism. I mean, as far as like, this is, you know, this is their, their government funded institutions and 
government funding has sort of made them uh, this way to a large extent. So there's nothing non-libertarian about pushing back. Um, I, you know, I, so yeah, the civil rights. I, you know, I think that pushing back on civil rights law creates the conditions for a larger cultural battle. I mean, it's people, you know, doing podcasts and becoming, you know, intellectuals and you know, arguing these things in the marketplace of ideas. Um, I think that this is like, you know, what we need to do. Um, and at the same time, I, you know, they will want people to. You know, bring these places uh, to a more sane place. Uh, but at the same time, I want these places to be less important. I don't think um, the Ivy League universities were as important uh, in American culture. Say, you know, like in the in you know colleges in general weren't as important like just to Americans' conceptions of who they were and what they wanted uh, in society, right? Um, and so, like you know, that's important. We're, I think we're going in that direction. I mean, there's just been polling in the last 10, 15 years that people believe in college less and you know less likely to want their kids to go to college and all those kinds of things. I just think these these are just such positive developments, and I hope they keep going in that direction, even if Harvard remains, you know, Harvard and Yale remain the most uh, prestigious schools. Okay, then to take a slight detour from your book, I'm uh, uh, I'm curious because I'm trying to get a, I'm trying to get a sense of of what Americans are thinking about their next election um coming up so so who do you think that the candidates contesting the election are going to end up being i mean i've said it's going to be biden and trump since 2020 as a but people think biden's not going to come back i think but trump's going to come back he controls the party and biden is the incumbent and even though he's old the incumbent almost always is the nominee so the betting markets used to get biden like a 33 percent chance i thought that was crazy uh for an incumbent president um yeah and i've been saying this for for years mm. You don't think there's a chance they'll try and replace Biden? Because like, because I look at some of, I see some of the videos, man, and I'm like, geez, this is but like. Who's they? I mean, who's they? Who who is they? Well, the, D, the, the, the DNC. No, they don't. They don't have that. Power. They don't have that power. <laughs> they can't do that. They can't do. That. There's no. There's there's nobody. I mean, these are not that centralized uh, or powerful to take out a sitting president. The president is more powerful than the party. Uh, so no, I don't think they're anyone's in the position to do that, and they'd be stupid to. Um, Kamala Harris is not popular. There's nobody waiting in the wings. I mean, there's nobody, there's no natural heir. Uh, and so, yeah, you should go with the incumbent. What, what about Michelle Obama? No, that's not going to happen. That's no. a right wing sort of, you know, fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she'd win. Uh, if I'm honest. I think she'd win, but I don't think there's any evidence she's like, a, you know, a politician. I don't know if she'd win it, actually. That would be very interesting. Uh, but yeah, I have no evidence she wants it or they'd be able to do it or, you know, God knows. It would be very funny, but no, that's not happening. Yeah. I mean, it would literally be a third term of Obama, like just a different Obama. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still not convinced that he'll make Like, I see the videos and I'm like, I, I'm not sure he'll make it to the election in terms of like being coherent and co like sort of co maybe you're seeing selective videos i mean i think most most of the time he's he's doing okay i think people grab the funny looking ones and you know it's maybe sometimes confused that's true but seems to seems to function okay yeah yeah whatever drugs they got him on they, like see, he always seems like when there's something big they seem to like pump him full of something and and then he's like sort of wired in yeah, he, I mean, he can keep uh, he can keep going with. It. I don't see him getting worse. I mean, I see him just about the same in the last few years. So, yeah. Okay. And you think you think uh, yeah? So it's going to be him, him and Trump. Um, do you think? Do you have a, a feeling on who you think is going to win from those two? <clears throat> yeah, I think you know. I think it's all it's close to fifty fifty. I mean, maybe sixty forty Biden. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's a you know it's a. Um, 
I think the Democrats, I mean, they, I think the Republicans are in trouble. I think they, they are nominating people who are not the best candidates for winning. Um, I think that the abortion issue is killing them. Trump might neutralize it a bit. Trump might be the best candidate. People think Trump is not electable. I think he's probably the most electable uh, of the Republican bunch, and he's you know got support in a lot a lot of people in swing states. Um, and so yeah, I think you know probably Biden is a slight favorite. I think the Republican Party has you know got in a direction that's you know not uh, you know doesn't appeal to as many people. Um, but they have the electoral college advantage, and yeah, they could win. I mean, it'll be close. So, what do you make of Vivek uh, Ramaswamy? I like him. He's uh, he, um, you know, he um, he adopted some of my ideas. So he uh, um, he uh, uh, promised to repeal uh, the executive order on affirmative action or uh, or uh, um, uh, uh, amend it. Um, you know, at his first day in office. So you know, we've talked about these things. Um, you know, he's uh, he's he's credited me with uh, with that. I was on his podcast. Um, you know, uh, a year or something, or a year or something like that ago. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think Vivek is, uh, he's one of the people whose heart is in the right place when it comes to uh, 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 these, these issues and will be will be strong on them. Um, some of his other things, I you know, I don't know. Um, you know, he's, he's done very well politically. And I also called that too, you know, I did say Vivek was, right when he announced, people thought he'd be nobody, like he'd be like 1%, you know, there's all these guys at 1%. And you know, the fact that he's like at eight or 10% now is pretty incredible considering you know, a lot of people like he's ahead of like Mike Pence, you know, the former vice president who should be who should be higher than him. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's a skilled, skilled politician. Um, and I, you know, I think he appeals to Republican base. He's probably not going to win because it's probably going to be Trump. But, um, yeah, he has a future. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe maybe not if this time the next time around, he might have a, a real shot um, once yeah, Trump. I mean, can't, well, if Trump doesn't win the. No, he'll be too. He'll definitely be too old next time. I mean, I think they're both too old this time. No, I think he'll keep running. I think he'll be in the hundred. And I, you know, I think Trump will get the nomination every year for the rest of his life um, <laughs> if he doesn't, you know, until he wins. Uh, that's sort of that's sort of been my prediction. Oh yeah, you could be very right there. To be fair, um, and then last last candidate I wanted to ask about is uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. What do you what do you reckon? I'm not. I'm not a fan of Kennedy. I think he appeal. I think it's like his appeal is just. I, I think it's sort of fake. It's all these right wing people on Twitter, uh, promoting him who think like he can hurt Biden by like challenging Biden, mm. but like they don't get that like that he's just appealing to them because he like agrees with a lot of their stupid views, um, and he's you know he's not appealing to them. So they're they're in a fantasy world uh, where RFK is going to challenge Biden, but RFK is simply he's an internet phenomenon pushed by right-wingers to try to get left-wingers to sort of fight with themselves. Um, and it's not going to work. And I think the man is, you know, objectively crazy. Um, his views on uh, his views on vaccines and cell phone towers and all kinds of things are just, you know, very, very weird. I mean, he's just a, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, you know, some of the support for him is legitimate and it's, you know, I think it's just people looking for something very silly or wrong in our politics. And some of it, I think, is actually more than people think is cynical. I think he captures basically the the non Biden left wingers. I think that's where he's getting the support from. Yeah, but I don't think. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that like, I think like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren would capture them better. I think that what they what they what the Republicans are what they wish like non Biden left was, but they're not like anti vax and anti Ukraine and like an anti war. That's not like where the left the left's heart is just like to be more socialism. That's like. The you know the uh, the anti Biden wing and that's you know R F Kennedy probably is to the left of Biden uh, on economics but you know the other things is probably a turnoff to a lot of the Democratic voters just like Jill Stein people you know uh, these people like 
have become disillusioned with the and Cornell West is a candidate like this. Those people are just you know they're more online than real, and they're you know they've already sort of disinvested from the uh, Democratic Party. Yeah, I think you, well, you could well be right there. I mean, I've seen I've seen talk that he's he's lining up an independent run, which would be interesting to I'd be I'd be very interested to see him on a debate stage with Trump and Biden if there is a debate. Uh, he wouldn't. I don't. Th- I don't think he'd get. I don't think he'd get on the basis. I think he's being promoted only by conservatives, and if he actually runs his general election, he'll probably hurt Trump. And so the only people who who promote him now are conservatives, and so they're not gonna they're not gonna promote him when the general election comes. I think he's. I don't think he's uh, gonna gonna actually be able to do that. That's an interesting take. That's not one I've heard. So that's very interesting. I'm gonna to have to watch out for that actually now. I'll look look to see who are the people tweeting about him. Um, but yeah, because I think yeah, was look, at the, look at the podcast RFK has been on. I mean, I, I would be surprised if he's done. He's done all right. It's all right wing stuff. I mean, it's all right wing stuff. And they want to think he's a Democrat who's gonna hurt Biden. That's all they want. He's so he runs as a general. If he has any impact, I would guess it probably hurts Trump. And at that point. Like these people are not going to promote him. He'll get he'll get on no TV shows, no podcasts, no nothing because you know there's just nothing you know for him. Maybe Democrats will start promoting him. I don't know. Like, but yeah, but it it'll be, it would be very strange if that happened. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Actually, I think he probably captures more of the independent and Republican vote than he would of the the traditional Democratic vote. Um, interestingly, um, but the one the one left wing well left wing ish podcast I would say was on. He was on Bill Maher, um, which was an interesting chat um yeah yeah but uh but yeah that's a good point because he's been on he's been on jordan peterson he's been on tucker carlson he's been on um yeah a whole bunch of right-wingers podcasts that's a really good point really making me think about this now so (laughs) um but anyway man uh really really appreciate your time um i enjoyed like flicking through the book because i uh skimmed it this week but i'm really looking forward to getting getting deep into it um and yeah gonna watch your country with great interest over the next year <laughs> yeah we're the best show on earth so yeah, yeah. You know, you're welcome to, you're welcome to watch yeah i mean yeah well hopefully hopefully you know just for the for the popcorn hopefully you just go for a million vote and again and just watch that blow up in your face uh, <laughs> uh, there's no way that can go well there's no way the election yeah. goes well actually there's no way that it goes goes smoothly I mean, if yeah, I think that uh, you know Trump is gonna is gonna uh, it's gonna be funny. You know, the guy doesn't take losing well. I mean, if he loses, it's gonna be funny. If he wins, it's gonna be funny. Yeah, every result is funny. So we at he, least have that. Yeah, he is just sometimes he is just really funny. That's the problem. It's funny. Do you, do you, like like what did he do the other day? I was watching. He was uh, was clips from the the town hall, the CNN town hall. And they were like, why did it take you three hours to condemn the, the protests on January 6th or the, the insurrection? Um, and he pulls out, he's like, ah, and he pulls out this, like, this bit of paper and, like, unfolds it. And he, like, reads out his tweets with the timestamps on it. And I was just mm. pissing myself laughing. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's really, really good stuff. Yeah. It really condemns, like, honestly, if you're CNN and you're, like, one of their lead journalists, okay, and you get caught out by a man with a bit of paper with timestamp tweets, you do not deserve to be a news channel. Uh, (laughs) You know, Trump, like, for all his, you know, for all the reasons that people really like him, he is not, like, a a subtle or, like, smart, like, he's not a subtle or, like, I don't want to say not an intelligent debater, but he's not someone who goes and like 
just like undermines your point in that way very often. It's not often that like he catches people out in that way, and he just mm. he he did them, and I was like, wow, this this is why won. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not his points are not always you know true or the most accurate, but it's always entertaining. So I think people people do love that. Yeah. Yeah, great show on earth, as you said. Anyway, um, people, uh, everyone go buy the book, uh, The Origins of Woke. Um, I'll put the link in the description. And um, yeah, there we are. Excellent. I was going to pull it up here on, on the thing. So yeah, even better, you've got the actual physical copy. Um, so yeah, um, good luck with the book and um, the other interviews you're going to do. And um, yeah, pleasure talking, man. Yeah, great talking to you. Thanks, Josh. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time.